Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of Three Squares. I'm Charlie Arnott with the Center for Food Integrity and Look East. I've dedicated my career to keeping food trustworthy. I'm Susan Schwally, president of the Food and Beverage Practice at the MPD Group. I'm fascinated by why people eat and drink what they do. And I'm Kevin Ryan, founder of Malachite Strategy and Research. And I help CPG and food service companies and their teams develop long-term strategy and innovation. And we are the three squares dishing on the food industry. Susan, you've been mentioning, you know, what your research has shown over the last several years. And I think with all of the, the, the companies and other organizations with which we work, it's the marriage of of healthy diet and good tasting food. And it's a challenge to get there, but we're really beginning to see and, and have seen for some time now the that, that tide is beginning to crest. So share a little bit more about what you've seen. There's a lot of noise out there because there's things popping up all the time, right? Like there's keto, coming and going, Atkins, Weight Watchers. I mean, all of those are a low carb format. And then there's other things out there too that come and go. But there are some very strong trend lines that have been indicative of where things are going. So I'll give you a real quick example. We all lived through the low fat, no fat craze, right? 80s and 90s, it didn't work. We all got heavier. We realized that fat really wasn't the problem. And probably about five, six years ago, uh, Americans for the first time told us in the information I look at that sugar was the greater concern. So it surpassed fat. And you really see that in the marketplace now in this holy grail of how do I make something that tastes great that people still really want, Mm -hmm. but that they can feel good about. And low, no sugar or even no sugar added is something that has really hit its stride. So I'm really excited for our guest around this. Yeah. So Kevin, I mean, high key has kind of hit the home run. They're kind of the gold standard for finding that secret combination of good for me and taste good. Yeah. Yeah, so high key is, you know, they're they're really dedicated to this idea of removing sugar from products that people really want, the snacks, the cookies, the candies, and even the crackers, you know, they're really trying to get out to what Susan said, that boogeyman of sugar. They really have keyed in, no pun intended, on the idea, or maybe there's pun intended there, uh, keyed in on the idea of let's remove the sugar from this. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. A really fast moving company trying to do that one specific thing. So, Kevin, you've done a, a great job today. You've been able to land Joe Enns, Senior Executive CEO of High Key, as our guest today. Tell us a little bit about his background and, and what we're going to hear today. Yeah, so Joe is the CEO of High Key Snacks. High Key is an emerging food company that has the fastest growing food businesses online, boasting the number one chocolate chip cookie on Amazon and, for personally, a caramel cluster that is really, I think, almost too good for the low amount of sugar that it actually has. Mm. Joe has spent the majority of his career in food with over 20 years at General Mills, where I met and worked with Joe, uh, with his latest role there being the regional CEO of Austral Asia. Joe, welcome to Three Squares. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, before we start, I should mention that I know that High Key has some relationships with Ryan Reynolds. And in a couple podcasts previously, 
we had Temple Grandin on. And as you probably know, Temple Grandin was in a biopic where she was portrayed by Claire Danes, which made the three of us ask, who would be portraying us if we were going to be on there? (laughs) And Charlie, as you could probably guess, he said Ryan Reynolds. I understand. So I don't want you to mistake Charlie for Ryan during this, because I'm sure you probably have met with him. It's easy. He would have to buff up a little bit. I mean, Ryan would have to like shape up a little bit to be, to play me, but exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't wear as many baseball caps as you do, Charlie. So uh, so, if you took that off, it would be, it would be like we're having a planning session all over again. Perfect. You know, funny story about Ryan. So Naturally, like everybody else, we formed that partnership over COVID. Mm. And so the, you know, all the interactions were always, you know, little little Zoom boxes on screens. So, okay. yeah, interesting, interesting time to form new relationships in this in this era. I'll bet. Well, before we get started, I just want to give you the chance. Can you give, you know, everyone listening just kind of a quick overview of, of Highkey? I think a lot of people, as I said, it's it's a really fast growing business. I think a lot of people are are aware of it. But for those that aren't, could you give us a, just a quick overview? Yeah. So Highkey is in the business of driving sugar out of snacks. That's our mission. We'll look to drive 10 million pounds of sugar out of the American diet by 2025. And we were launched in uh, early 2019 by an Amazon business builder who had kind of gone on a classic low sugar, low carb diet, but hated the way the stuff tasted and had the thing for cookies at the time. And uh, most, you know, 30 somethings would say, well, screw it. I guess that's just the way it is. But AJ kind of is a serial Elon Musk entrepreneur and said, I'm going to figure this thing out and found our second co-founder, John Gibb, who happened to be running a James Beard award winning restaurant in the Pacific Northwest, as well as ran a baking co-manufacturer and said, dude, I can I can solve that for you. And they launched this gorgeous little chocolate chip cookie in January of 19, probably about five months later, became the number one chocolate chip cookie on Amazon. Then I joined in month nine because AJ realized they had something here, but didn't really have a lot of experience in retail. And 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 we've had a great run. We've, we've built our distribution. We're in basically half the distribution points in the U.S. You can find us in most major retailers, whether it be Target, Kroger, Walmart, and a lot of the independents. And Costco has been a great partner of ours as well. So we're on our way to, to getting more sugar out of snacks. I love that. So Joe, you know, one of the things that both you and I saw at the Sweets and Stacks Expo was this whole no sugar, low sugar, no added sugar, however you want to come at it, was the theme of the show. I think we'd agree, right? You're having great success in this space. How do you think that's going to play out over time as more competitors come in? And, you know, how are you thinking about your edge or what you own in that no sugar space? You know, especially in the better for you space, but this is true of all food and snacking. It's always about the stuff. And there have been a lot of entrants already in the in the cookie business specifically in taking sugar and carbs out. And uh, with great respect, the majority of them taste like crap. And, you know, the graveyard that is Expo West is littered with amazing credentials like lower sugar, no carbs, you know, strong protein, gluten-free that tastes poor. And so for us, it's always about the stuff. And as it turns out, it's really hard to take sugar and carbs out of cookies. And so we've seen that with our competitors who have come and gone already in some cases. So we don't take for granted that we've kind of got our our territory stakes. So we'll continue to make sure we're bringing the most relevant claims to the consumer. We're going to elevate the role of protein and, and highlight the fact that we're made with almond flour as we get into 
our next round of packaging because we think that it helps consumers understand that, look, you can take sugar out and put junk in. In our case, we've got a very high quality set of ingredients and we're using a very premium set of natural sweeteners that actually don't spike your glucose levels. There are ways to take sugar out of cookies and still have an impact on your your glycemic index. And I call that cheating. And so for us, it's just making sure people understand that we're, quote, doing it the right way and making sure that the stuff always tastes great. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I've got two-year-old grandson, and I kind of, when I when I try new snack foods, I will I will give it the Theo test, right? And if he spits it out, it doesn't matter how healthy it is, right? Because he's just simply not going to eat it. If you don't eat it, it doesn't make any difference. So you've made really impressive inroads into in a number of categories, cookings being one, but you've also pulled back from some cereal. So how do you think about category expansion? Is that consumer-driven, customer-driven in terms of your channel partners, or what else plays a role in terms of what you decide to add or take out of the, out of the mix? Yeah, in our early days, we fancied ourselves a digital incubator. And what we meant by that was, you know, we used our e-commerce infrastructure and capability to test ideas, really get transactional learning. And so we explored a host of categories beyond just cookies. Once we realized that we had a strong beachhead with cookies, we streamlined that effort. And, and while it's true within our e-commerce infrastructure, we had you know other categories like cereal and baking mixes. We never launched them. Like they never saw the light of day on a retail shelf. And that was the whole point of a digital incubator is you could do it very efficiently, low cost, not bring a, the complexity of a retail partner into that learning journey. And then once we realized we already had something, which happened to be the first swing on the ball, we really got focused. And now our our focus is taking sugar out of snacks. We have really, I'll call it two and a half categories over the line at retail. We've got, you know, the the fastest growing better for you cookie. And then we've also got a cracker business at a few select retailers. And that business has done nicely, an almond flour cracker. And then we've got a really interesting mini muffin, if you will, called mini treats that is very often next to our cookie business. And so all of them kind of in the same wheelhouse. And then, you know, we got out of a host of categories, but again, we really weren't in them. We were just incubating them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, cool, cool. So inflation, supply chain issues, they're affecting everybody in food and beverage, ingredient substitution, shortages, et cetera. How have you seen that impact your business? And more broadly, as you think about food and beverage, how have you seen that impact the entire category? And what do you see is happening next? Because I know I know ingredient substitution is a nightmare. So it's interesting. We make cookies a lot different than the big guys do. They use you know grains and uh, oats and sugar. And those ingredients, you know, are up 60, 70 percent. Mm-hmm. And you've seen amazing amounts of pricing put through sugar, of course, also up. In our case, almond flour is down in the last couple of years. Our cost of goods are actually pretty, I'll call it stable relative to the broader context of inflation. I think that's probably going to come to an end as retailers realize that they get to control the price point at the end of the day. I don't take for granted that our cost structure is a little insulated right now versus the folks that are buying a lot of grains and sugar. But in this moment in time, we're ironically advantaged by using premium expensive ingredients. You know, that's interesting because I think it's Kraft Heinz and Mars that have pulled out of Tesco for that very reason. Tesco said enough, right? And yeah. so, they, so it's going to be fascinating to see how this continues to play out. I'm curious, Joe, you're talking about the digital incubation. I'm curious whether or not you're at all using that as a strategic lever in the sense of, you know, what's going to be the best to actually put in a retail perspective from a from a cost perspective versus just a consumer pull perspective. 
it's it does it, it's mostly been employed to validate or invalidate you know consumer propositions you know we'll tweak a formula and we'll we'll reach out to our community and get their feedback real time and you know in in my old life you know you'd spend an awful lot of money and take several months to do that in our case on monday we'll ask ourselves a question and by thursday we'll have you know, we'll have the response from a couple hundred consumers. So, so we, we usually use our group for, for validation. When we've tweaked formulas, whether it be to keep cogs down, we'll reach out to them as well. Can you talk a little bit, particularly for some of the smaller companies that we may have listening, talk a little bit about funding. We, we already touched on Ryan Reynolds earlier, but, you know, outside of just not celebrity funding, but in general, any tips that you're, insight that you're willing to, to share with our listeners? Everyone who is going through it knows that it's hard and everyone who's going through it right now would say it's really hard. You know, the the way I explain it to kind of family members is it's no different than our personal finances. When uncertainty creeps in, you're less likely to make a big purchase. You're less likely to invest in a certain area. And I think that's true of bankers and CEOs when they're looking at acquisitions or investments. I think, you know, when the uncertainty of what we're currently facing creeps in, you know, people kind of tighten the tighten the strings a little bit. And so, you know, the, perhaps the only wisdom I'd have, if that's even the right word, is you really want to make sure that you've got a strong advisory group and you build a network around you that can help you in areas that may not be a strength. And, you know, in our case, we were lucky to bootstrap this together with with some successful exits previously with our founders. And so when we brought on an institutional investor, almost as an advisor more than anything else, it was mostly because of the value add as much as, quote, the check. And so I would push anybody who's building businesses like this to make sure that they're surrounding themselves and building out an advisory group who has a really deep and rich not rich financially, but but valuable network. And, you know, Ryan Reynolds is an interesting example. We, we, uh, you guys brought him up earlier. You know, that came about because of the network and the contacts within our advisory group. So you've really got to build that out and be thoughtful on who you're going to consult and get outside of your area of expertise. Because, for example, I'm a marketer by trade. I'm happy to bring more marketing wisdom to, to bear, but where I really needed help was in finance and some of the other areas, which is where we built us more advisory group. You know, I think it's a great point, Joe. I worked for a, for a startup and we had five banks in our bank group and one of them was completely unfamiliar with the sector. And when we started to hit into some volatility, just panicked. Yeah. And the other four banks finally bought him out, bought that bank out because it just took so much more time to manage that relationship. It wasn't worth it. And so your point on making sure you've got a good partner, not just in terms of finance, but somebody who can actually understand the business and understand the sector, that's a great insight. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've really appreciated about, you know, you know, so I worked in Fortune 200 and now we're in this startup and now we're hopefully past the startup phase. You really have to reach out to the universe and, and get as much input and help as you can. When you work in a big company, they might be a little insular in their mindset, but you've got access to so much different capability and expertise You've got to build that and access that yourself and do that through a ton of people who are willing to help you. And so it's been a really great asset for us as we built out our advisor group. I can see that network being important then, Joe. Especially in my case, it's great to talk to people who've been there. And been around the track a while. And even though the run around the track's a little different, it, it's you know, there are some common themes and common trends. So well, you know, my question, and I always ask, you know, people, especially people like yourselves that are in a, you know, startups or things like that. I know that you're wearing many hats 
you know, beyond CEO, like you said, you know, you're, you're doing lots of things. What's the hardest part of the job? Yeah. It, you know, unlike, you know, again, I'll reference fortune 200 type businesses every day is existential and, and, and you can have major swings that have dramatic impact on cash flow. And, and so by definition, you know, the existence is existential versus Kevin, you and I know, you know, when you work in a big, you know, big conglomerate, there aren't many days that are existential. You know, there are plenty of days where you're working in important, cool stuff, but there aren't many days where like, well, I think this is, I think this is going to define the outcome of the company, if you will. You can have a big swing on the business that has a massive, either positive or negative impact on cash flow and cash is king on a business like ours. And so that's the hardest, but it's also the most thrilling, right? It's kind of the terrifying and most thrilling part of this journey is it, it truly is existential. Are there any particular problems that you're, that you're looking at? You know, like if I, if I could only solve that problem. I feel like it unlock growth. I think for us, for lack of a better term, the problem we have is just making sure we place the right bet. You know, we have, you know, the consumer is evolving quickly, especially in the no sugar, low carb space. And just making sure that we can continue to stay relevant and top of mind for that consumer as their needs shift. The underlying trend of sugar kind of coming out of the American diet is that that's a seismic shift in the, in the, in the plates of the American diet, if you will. So that's not going anywhere. But as as marketers, we have to find ways to insert ourselves and be a part of that mindset. We're lucky to have, quote, the right stuff. Now we just got to make it relevant on an ongoing basis. Right. Well, I asked, what's the hardest part? What's the part you enjoy the most? What's the part that, you know, really does get you out of bed in the morning, so to speak? Yeah, I, I had a moment recently. I was at a, I was in a public event surrounded by strangers, but talking to a few folks that I knew. And, the, and one woman had overheard that I was with High Key. And she, she literally like jumped into the conversation. I've never met her before. And then she calls her husband over like, this guy works at High Key. And they're like, oh my God, we love your stuff. <laughs> and I've, look, I've worked on big brands in the past before, but, but you're kind of stewards of legacies, right? When you're leading these wonderful big brands, you're hopefully having an impact. But in that instance, that was like somebody telling me how wonderful my child was. And, you know, I, I, you can't really explain to someone who doesn't have kids what it's like to have kids. But for those that do have kids, you understand that impossibility. And so when I try to talk to my old colleagues from, from Big Co., it's hard for me to explain the, the, the emotion and why I got welled up with emotion when this woman jumps in this conversation telling me how beautiful my baby was. And so, um, so that was, and, and there've been a few moments like that. These wonderful, you know, Blake from Tom's shoes tells a similar story where he was checking in at the airport and some woman pointed to his shoes and says, Oh, I love those shoes. These, those are the best shoes having no idea that he was the founder of Tom's. And, um, I now understand exactly, though, at a different scale, what his emotion was at that moment. Very cool. Yeah. Do you have a, I mean, I'll put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite child? Speaking of it, you said, I'll really put you on the spot. (laughs) What's your favorite child of the group? (laughs) Well, so for the food case, for my two daughters, I love them equally and differently. But but, um, the, the chocolate chip cookie is remarkable, meaning in the true definition of the word, it's worthy of remark. And, uh, but then I'm now eating this mini treat business that we've launched because it's the perfect afternoon snack and my sweet tooth kind of goes away in the afternoon. So, um, but whenever I, someone says, oh, I haven't tried Haiki, what should I try? I'm like, oh, 
chocolate chip cookie. Absolutely. It's, it is worthy of remark. It's the gateway. It's the gateway. Awesome. Yeah. And, and strategically, we tried, we treated this <laughs> such. We've had, we had many retailers. In fact, sure. when we were incubating different categories, we had all kinds of retailers ask us, hey, we'd like to bring that category, that category. And we're like, no, 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 no. We're, we're just experimenting. I mean, please bring in cookies. Let's get people in through that. And then we'll see if those things end up coming to fruition. Well, Joe, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. It's been great to great to see you again. Great to talk with you. You know, keep keep putting out the cookies. We love them. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. It's uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. It's interesting because of the pandemic and because the emotional eating and yeah. what we needed to do to cope. You cannot think of a greater intersection of point and consumer need for high key to have come into fruition when it did. And so timing is part of it. And it's just a dang good stuff. Like he said, it has to taste good. And I want it to be better for me. True. Because if it's better for me, and it, I mean, it, it, it has to be both. Because if it's not, you're not going to be successful in the marketplace. So you better start with taste. Well, it's niche if they're not both. And then figure out how to make it better for me. Yeah. And that's their thing. Well, it's also the fact that probably why they're launching uh, or they just launched more candy-like uh, mm-hmm. products too. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I think they're probably seeing the exact same thing. So which takes me to what I, I really enjoyed Joe's conversation about using the the digital incubation aspect of it, the idea that they're really using it, which makes sense seeing that one of their co-founders came from Amazon. They're definitely really leaning into that digital aspect of it. Absolutely. And the other thing that's interesting is is Ryan Reynolds keeps coming up. I think he must be stalking the podcast. It's true. He keeps coming up in these different ways where he it's clear that he must. I know he wants to sponsor us. Right. He wants to sponsor or be a guest on Squares. Totally. He's got to like back up to the microphone and run toward it. <laughs> and, and impale myself on it. Right, exactly. There we, yeah. there we go. That's the only way we can make this work. On today's What the Food... Kevin will talk to us about something interesting that no one else knows about. Kevin? Well, I don't know if no one else knows about because it's it's kind of a, a known fact within food science, I suppose, but calories. Calories. I think what we all think about calories is not really true. It's like the dirty little secret of calories. What? Which is... Calories in, calories out? No, which actually when you read the back of a food, you know, the back of the yeah, nutrition yeah. panel, yeah. that's actually not right. No way. It's not? Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, here's the thing. Calories are a very shotgun approach yeah. to, to measuring. So calories were invented over 100 years ago. The idea of calories was invented over 100 years ago. And basically what it is is how much energy is in the food, right? And right. to find it, what they do is they take that food. It's almost hilarious how they do it because they still do it like and they burn it. You burn it like in this uh, thing called a bomb calorimeter, and it it shows how much it raises the temperature of the water around it, and it's very technical and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But all you really have to know is they burn it, and they figure out how much energy is in it. The problem is, is that your body is not a bomb calorimeter. It is not burning the food like that. And there's many reasons why. One is you have different enzymes than different people. Others is the food is it looks different. It, your body doesn't know how to attack it. And maybe it doesn't all get digested. There's lots of different reasons, which means that when you see that it says a peanut is this many calories or a banana is this many calories, that's actually not really right. It's kind of like an average of what you might get. And it can be really far off. 
So my calories, not your calorie is what you're saying. They're just saying kind of uh, uh, now. Are there red calories and blue calories? Is that how we're, how we're segmenting now? There, there aren't red calories and blue no, calories. Okay. No, no, there's not. <laughs> Let me give you an example of how interesting <laughs> this yet. is, or at least I, it, <laughs> uh, and I'll have to warn everybody to put down any food. If you're eating this, eating around this time, please stop the recording, stop this. And you can come back later because it gets a little gross. Ooh. So, Early part of the 19th century, there was this physician named William Beaumont who was actually in your neck of the woods. Yes, the stomach thing, right? The stomach yes. thing, yes. Yeah. So there was there was a shooting. <laughs> the stomach thing. So it was at Mackinac. Yeah, Mackinac. Mackinac is. I remember I when was I was Mackinac. a kid. No, it's spelled Mackinac, Kevin. It's Mackinac. I always thought it was. I remember okay, Dr. Mackinac. Beaumont. They had him up in the fort. The thing. He, the, I won't tell the story, but they had it. I was a no, 10 year old. Tell it. Tell well, it. Th this soldier on me, you guys, is a thing from my childhood. This soldier <laughs> got shot in the side with a cannonball, right? And it left a yes. hole. Shotgun. A, yes. Okay, shotgun. And it left a <laughs> hole to the exterior. Like Dr. Beaumont was lowering pieces of meat on a string. Exactly. Into his yes. stomach. And that's where we figured out digestion, right? We figured out digestion, but they also figured out that food wasn't always completely digested. So like when he would lower things in there, he would say, if I put a raw carrot in, sometimes the raw carrot would come out raw at the, at the, at the end of digestion. Oh. But if I put a cooked carrot in the front, then it was all gone by the end because cooking basically did some pre-digestion and allowed sure. the body to do it. So yeah. that's why calories are so difficult because if you ever looked at a calorie count of a raw carrot versus a cooked carrot, it says it's the same. Oh. And that's not 100% true. It's not true. Yeah. So we learned it from Dr. Beaumont. Mr. Beaumont and his very unusual, that's a very interesting history. And that's actually yeah. coming back into play. There's actually a lot of research being done now about maybe changing the way that we think about calories. So two things on that. Did you know that there is a there's a, a a window in a cow's rumen that they use to study nutrition, right? So you could, that they've done that. They've essentially made it intentional, not shot the cow with a shotgun, but they've It's technically called a fistula. A fistula. Oh, a fistula. They, they, it's an artificial fistula. fistula that they've created in the cow so they can test that. The other thing which I found fascinating is when you talk about the in discrepancies or inaccuracies on calories on food menus and restaurants, it's horribly off. And yes. I was with a group of dietitians from, I think, Darden at the time, and they were talking about the challenge of the label because it depends on who's in the back of the kitchen. How That's big right. a ladle uh, do they take? How big a serving? Is it going yeah. to be larger or smaller? I mean, it just right. there's so many variables to that that they have to pick an average, as you, as you noted, Kevin, but the average has a lot of, of variability. I find it's interesting, too. It's like the variability can be within the person. Of course. So like how long your long intestine is makes a big impact on how much you digest. Oh, right. This is just like further pointing to personalized, medically-based... Nutrition. Nutrition. Yeah. And so, That's but right. what would we put on a package instead? That's a good question. I mean, if anything, you should just use it as a guideline. Right. It's relative, right? It gives you relative information. I mean, it is, it is relatively true. It's, I mean, if is it like, is a tablespoon of peanut butter more caloric than a tablespoon of applesauce? Yes. Right. But is it exactly, you know, is it 110 calories or whatever it may be? No, it should, you shouldn't take it to that level, I think, but you could say that it's directionally different. Yeah. And should we work on stretching our long intestine? I guess that's yes. another question. Maybe so, we can make what's... a tool to help people with that. <laughs> we celebrate that caloric diversity. 
We do. It is caloric diversity. It's true. And I just want you to know, for all our listeners, first of all, Mackinac Island is a very special, awesome place. But now- How do you pronounce N-A-C as- It's- That's how you pronounce it, Kevin. I always thought there was a Mackinac Island and a Mackinac Island. No. Because I'd heard people say the other. No, because that's like saying Illinois. It's not a thing. Oh, yeah. No, you should never do that. It's like Milwaukee. If you're from there, there's no L. It's Milwaukee. Yeah. If you would like to be a sponsor, you can reach out to us at threesquaresmail at gmail.com. That's the numeral three, squaresmail at gmail.com. And listen to this. In addition to reaching our audience of food system leaders, you'll also get 90 minutes alone with the three squares. So send us a note. Reach out to us, threesquaresmail at gmail.com. Three Squares Dishing on the Food Industry is created by Charlie Arnott, Susan Schwally, and Kevin Ryan. Thanks to our producers, Dave Beezing and Jason Jackson at Sound That Brands. And of course, most of all, thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a rating and review. Follow for future episodes, share it with your friends, and you can follow us on LinkedIn. We're at Three Squares Podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll set the table again soon on Three Squares. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.